listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. I want us to talk about second chances. We all know what a second chance is, right? Those times in our lives that we have been doing something and then we had a chance for uh, just to get a second chance or a redo, in other words. Uh, Maybe just an opportunity just to take a fresh look at something and try again. Now, one of the examples, because that I think of is games. I mean, to me, you know, when I was, when I was little, we certainly didn't have any kind, kinds of games like we do now. My, my, the first gaming console that was ever in my house as a child was just the one box plug-in thing. Well, it wasn't even a plug-in, it was a little U-wire things. You had to screw them into the back of the TV, flip the switch, and the entire game was just a ball bouncing, and it was this. That was it. Boring. But hey, it was a game. It was different. It was, it was kind of cool, you know. Then, now I look at it and think, why did I play that? That was so, you know. And then, and then after that, then we, we got an Atari in the house. You know, it's like, oh my goodness. Introdu- introduced to Pac-Man. I mean, how awesome is that? And, you know, and games like Frogger and and all this other stuff. And then we know, we know the, the history of this. From there, it's just going on into what we have now where you're wearing the, the, uh, I can't, the Oculus. I think, that's, yeah, they're over your eyes and you're literally just virtual reality. And, and I can't do that. Soon as, you know, I can play these old games. I can still go back and play this original Mario. You know, I, I, can, I can beat that one. But when you start giving me all these buttons and I'm having to look in all these different directions, I'm like, I'm out. There's no way I can do that. Sorry. I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I can't do that. I need just that old style, you know, where I can see, you know, just cheesy looking stuff. But here's the thing about being around those games. What happens when you first, when you first get a game and you start playing it, you may not be very obviously very familiar with it, and you get on a level and you face this thing and you get you run out of all your lives. Well, those those consoles have a pretty cool thing. It's called a reset button. You just reset it. Or you just start your game over and you load back up maybe from an additional checkpoint, or you get to try the level again, but this time going at it, we're a little bit smarter, right? Because now we're playing this game and we're thinking, okay, around that corner up here is where that, that monster dude or whatever it was jumped out and just took my lives. So now I know what's coming. I'm, a, I'm hitting it a little bit wiser this time going in and I'm trying to figure out more strategy about how to get past it so that I can continue. And so, you know, when you think about our time playing these games, we, we kind of have gotten accustomed to just hitting that reset button. Hey, I wanna, but I want to try it again. Unless you're this old guy like me who cannot keep up with these new games, and I just, I just admit it, I can't keep up with them. My kids can do them, that's great, that's awesome. Give me the old stuff, give me the original Mario, and I will beat you. But other than that, forget it. 
But so, so we, we get into this thing, but, but we learn things as we continue trying. We, we continue trying and we continue uh, figuring the, the game out. And you know, sometimes in life we, we have those moments that we attempt something, we may fail at it, and then we try it again. But, but when we try it again, we go back at it a little wiser than, than we were originally. Maybe we learn something from that first experience that has now helped us, maybe to strengthen us in the places that we were originally weak, that we can, can move forward in. Now today we're going to be talking about, you know, I'm going to begin a lot of examples. We're going to kind of skim around just a little bit today, but we're going to focus on one particular account in the Old Testament. But the greatest second chance that was ever given to me and to you and to all mankind was the second chance that God gave us, right? Now, I'm going to kind of do things in a little bit reverse. So first, let's talk about the chance that he's, that he's given us. And our first verse, just to kind of open us up, is coming from 2 Peter 2 and 9. So let's take a look at what the Lord's philosophy is on giving us these, these opportunities. I think I gave us the wrong verse. First Peter 2.9. So sorry. Anyway, so you can listen. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So that is our creator's stance on us. He says, I'm not, God, the, the writer here says, Peter says, God's not willing that any should be destroyed, that any should perish. He wants all to come to him and repent. Now, the, the verse that most of us probably know by heart, John 3, 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave. I mean, we can just stop right there for a moment, just talk about those two words. He gave. He didn't sell us a remedy to sin. He didn't trade with us a remedy for sin. He gave us this wonderful part of Himself, His very own one and only Son, into this world to pay a debt that I couldn't pay. To pay for the sins that was on me. And on each of us, on all mankind and humanity, God gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. God has given mankind the opportunity to take a second chance. And he says, and we know that his, his idea behind this is that he's, he said, wait, I'm not, I don't, it's not my desire that any of, of humanity perish, but that all will come to repentance through my son, Jesus Christ, be restored in a relationship with me as our godly father through my son, Jesus, and what 
His accomplished work on the cross and His accomplished work uh, defeating death, hell, and the grave. I want them to have a renewed life. By my Holy Spirit, I want to dwell within humanity. I want to guide them. I want to comfort them. I want to restore them. I want them to be in a relationship with, with me. We find that in God's Word, there have been many times that God has given second chances. Very first, very first one that we can think of is, of course, Adam and Eve, the original, the original two that sinned. Now, would it, is it, would it have been in God's power right then to say, you know what? They failed this test. They're gone. No. I mean, I'm sorry. It was within his power. But did he do that? No. He said, okay, this is what's going to have to happen. Because I love you. You're my creation. But I can't, I can't right now. The, the, our, our connection has been broken. So you're going to have to leave the, this garden that I've made for you. And you're going to have to go out into this earth now that, that is now under a curse. And you're going to have to toil. And you're going to have to make it by the sweat of your brow. And you're going to have, you're going to have a much harder life than you originally thought. But he still gave them the opportunity to live, to grow, to dwell, and to continue in that state looking at him. What about, the, what about around Noah when God looked at mankind and said, you know what, they're just so sinful. You know, we, they just don't seem like they, they, they even know me or remember me. Or, or in, and, but you know what, here's this family over here and, and, and Noah, he, he's trying. He, he's doing what he can to, to, to honor me. So I'm going to use him and his family and even though it's still within my power, I can, I can completely clean the slate here and now, but you know what? I want to give them another chance. So I'm going to have to give the instructions on how to build this big boat, this ark. We're going to put this family inside it. We're going to take some creation into it. We're going to eliminate every, all, everything else, and we're going to get another chance at this. Another fresh start. And we see what happened. Waters come up. People, you know, lost their lives. They didn't listen. But those that were on the, ark, on the ark, they were saved. And so again, we see a, another second chance that's been given. What about the Exodus? I mean, when you read in, in what it was like for the the Hebrew children as they were coming out of Egypt and headed toward the promised land. I mean, there was a, there's a lot there. And when you read through that, you're like, okay, they're, they're amazed by God. They're with God. Now they're grumbling because they think God's forgotten them. Oh, no, no. They, they've been restored. They're with God. And God the whole time is just urging them on through Moses saying, come on, it, it's okay. I've got you. I've got, I've got you with this. Come on, let's just keep going. And then finally, when they get to the promised land, 
And they look into it, into the land of Canaan. And they have, think about all that the, the, these folks have already seen. I mean, coming out of Egypt, being fed, and just the miraculous food that appeared, and, and water in the desert, and things like that. And then when they get to the promised land, they send out the spies. And the majority of those guys come back and give their report, and they're like, nope, I don't think it can happen. Yeah, yeah, we, 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 know, we know the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob has, has you know, our God has led us here. And whew, we've seen some miracles along the way, but this, this is just too big. We, we can't take it. So God again is like, no. I'm going to give them another chance. Now there's going to be some changes and it change up a little bit. You guys are going to go out and you're going to walk around in a circle for a little while but your kids are going to come back and I think they're going to have a heart that's going to be more open and ready for them to, to go into the promised land you know I think what a lot of the, that original generation even crossing through all of Egypt or I'm sorry through the desert out of Egypt I think a lot of them just could not shake off Egypt even though it was slavery for them, even though it was oppression for them. They just couldn't shake it off. They never could just fully look at their God and know that they were going to be cared for. So many examples that we could talk about. I mean, the entire book of Judges. Have you ever read the book of Judges? I mean, it is a consistent, constant cycle of sin with God, away from God. Another judge comes up back with God. Now we're away from God. And it's just this cycle just keeps continuing all through that. But every time God's saying, no, I'm giving you another chance. You're my people. I'm not giving up on you. you, you you're mine. I've got great plans for this place. I've got great plans for you. You don't know it now, but there's going to be someone absolutely amazing that is going to come through this lineage. It's going to save the world. What about the people? Or, or let me back up. Jonah. Jonah is a great example of someone that was given a second chance, right? God said, hey, I need you to go up to Nineveh. Jonah says, I'm going to pack my bags. Nineveh's that way. The boat's going that way. I'm taking the boat. Those people up there are mean. I do not want to go up there. That is the rough neighborhood. I'm not, I'm not going. Instead, I'm going to get on the boat. I'm going to go this way. We know the story. God gave him a second chance, right? Got cast off the boat. What did God have waiting for him? A live submarine to sustain him for just a few days to allow him to have some quiet time, some time for reflection inside the belly of a great fish and then he gets spit out because at this point Jonah's like all right God thank you for this chance you need me to go so I'm headed up but what I always think about is important most of the time when we talk about the story of Jonah we just focus on Jonah himself not the fact that God chose to send him to a place 
in Nineveh, he was giving them a chance. Also, even though most of the population was just like, they are, they are too far gone. There's nothing there that could possibly be any good to, to God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, what could, I mean, come on, they're, they're past the point of no return. But God's like, no, they're not. Because remember, God's not willing that any should perish, but all come back to repentance. Now, then we get into when Jonah actually goes through Nineveh, and I always imagine it was like this. There's the front door of the city, then the back door. Now I know, there's big gates and stuff. But I imagine Jonah just kind of started at one end and just started going down the line until he got to the back, went up to the hilltop, He's like, I've done my job. I've said what you wanted me to say. I'm going to sit here under this bush. God, go ahead. You, I know they're, I still think they're too far gone, so go ahead. Wipe them out. I'm going to sit here and eat my popcorn. I'll watch it. Dinner and a show. <laughs> but that's not what happened. The people in Nineveh listened. There was a revival in that city. They came to know who God was as their creator. And they too were given this amazing opportunity, this chance. Was Jonah happy about it? We're not focusing on Jonah today, but was he happy about it? Not very much. It kind of confused him because he didn't understand at this moment what grace was all about. He didn't understand at this moment how God loved and loves all mankind. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every person on this earth, He has created and He loves us so much that He gave. He gave us His one and only Son. So now let's talk about some in the New Testament. Remember the woman at the well? Remember, she, she had been there and she, Jesus knew all about her. She'd been living in sin, but did Jesus look at, the, at this woman? He, 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 knew, he knew the, the baggage she was, she was carrying with her with that bucket up the hill. He knew her past, her, her, her history. He was just like, hey, let me talk to you about living water. You want to talk about, you know, let's, let's see if we can right the ship a little bit. We'll talk about another chance for you, for your life and the, this town that you live in. What about Peter? I always just love the stories with Peter, the accounts of Peter. I mean, always Peter was just, I'm just this brute of a guy, you know, and I, or this is how I picture him. And, you know, and we can think about how much his expression of love for Jesus as, as his follower and his disciple was very evident in God's word. And, when, and then here they are. He loves him so, he loves Jesus so much. And obviously, when we love something so much, we want to protect. And that, that's how I see, see Peter, just this just protector. And I always imagine the, the scene in the garden. You remember when, when they came to, 
to arrest Jesus. And Jesus did try to prepare his disciples for what was coming. Now, they didn't understand very much about it. But he did try to, you know, hey, guys, you know, just giving you a little heads up. You know, there's going to be some things to happen, but it's okay. It's all under control. You know, now I can imagine this scene in, in the, the garden there that night when they came to arrest Jesus and, and here are these temple guards and I imagine them just kind of pulling out these shackles ready to put him in chains. And, and I, you know, I can just picture Jesus like, it's, it's okay, and there goes Peter. Oh, what? Oh, Peter's got a sword. Peter just chopped off a guy's ear. And, you know, and I was like, <laughs> you know, I mean, my brain is generally kind of comical, but, you know, it's like I can just picture him pitch, picking up this. He's like, Peter, we talked about this. It's okay, you know. And, and or even later on, just quickly thereafter, you know, after Peter just displayed this, this side of him and, and, uh, as, as Jesus is being interrogated and going through all these uh, illegal court sessions during that night, they, they thought they recognized Peter, right? The people did. It's like, hey, don't we know you? Aren't you a follower of Jesus? No. No, I'm pretty sure you are. No. no I'm, I'm almost confident that I've seen you with him. No, I'm telling you, I don't know the guy. The same man that just earlier, just a few hours earlier, was chopping off a guy's ear to help try to protect his Lord and Master. And now he's there because he was, he was so confused. And, it, and when this happened, and Jesus already knew it was going to happen, he already told Peter it was going to happen. But when the reality of it hit, can you imagine how deflated Peter was in that moment? Just... I didn't think I would do it. And I did it. I became afraid. When, I, when he told me this back then, I said there would be no way it was going to happen. But when push came to shove, it, it happened. And now here I am. I can't believe I did this. But then we have another account where Jesus is sitting there making breakfast by the water side. And he just asked Peter three times, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? <laughs> Jesus like, Peter, I knew it was going to happen. I know you love me. So let's just take another, another chance at this. Come on, we got work to do. What about the, the, the famous Saul that we know in the New Testament? I mean, this guy was out and he was persecuting the church and he was just, just very um, righteous in it. I, honestly, I think that's the best word I can think of right now. It's just, he just was about this, this, what he felt was this call where he was going to eliminate these blasphemers, these, these followers of Jesus. And even to the point that he was taking followers and he was persecuting them and he was, he was torturing them or, or, or with the interrogations, you know, tell, tell me where the, the others are type thing. But Jesus met him on the road one day as he was heading to Damascus and, and he's like, hey, it, it's me. You've been trying to 
eliminate my followers. You've been trying to stop the spread of what's happened here. But I need you to see me right now. And then we, we start referring to Saul as Paul. He's saved. He's, he, he's, he's become renewed, refreshed, alive in Christ Jesus. And he's working on another chance here. But with a new passion, a new way, a new life about him. Today we're going to look at another chance. Another account of a second chance. Now to, to kind of bring us up to where we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. Israel was a great nation. We know that Saul and King David came. Solomon came. And the nation just just expanded and flourished and it was an, it was an amazing sight Jerusalem was just this beauty to behold people were coming in from all around just to visit the place you know if there was if there was a blog back then you know the five greatest places to see I imagine Jerusalem was number one hey you need to go visit Jerusalem you need to see this amazing temple you need to see this place it, it's awesome and and then we, we start seeing this, the, the fingers of sin coming in to the point where it become divided. We have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. But that still, that, 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 that sin continuing to just fester there within, within the nations, the two kingdoms. Bringing in these other gods, bringing in kind of, kind of, hey, you know, it's okay. You can worship your God over there. You know, well, it's fine. And eventually the people were being turned away from the one true God. That God allowed the kingdoms to fall. Temporarily. He needed them to have a little bit of time, just like he did with Jonah in the belly of the whale. He needed them to have a little bit of time just to stop Remember who he was. Recognize who he is. So he allowed Babylon to come under King Nebuchadnezzar and to begin, you know, that they were now under their authority. And, and every time that the nation tried to rise up against them, they, get, they, they were punished. They began to take captives out back into the land of Babylon. You know, one, two, three times until finally they're there and the entire city of Jerusalem, the temple, everything was burned, it was destroyed, it was just, it was gone. And the people there, you know, just wept. You know, you can look at the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations and just the crying out of, of the people like this, our beautiful city, our, 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 the temple, the temple is where God would meet with us. It, it's all been destroyed. And they were taken away as captives into Babylon. And there they, they, had, they were told, okay, you, you got to stay here. You, you got to, you know, you don't necessarily need to stay in this city, but you can, you can go set up a new home over there. You can make it set up home over there. And, 
And the people just kind of had to adapt to where they were at, and they began to, it became their temporary home. Uh, that's when the first time we see the synagogue started coming about because they started making these village-style meeting places uh, around the time when they, were, when they were in captivity. And eventually, Babylon fell to Persia. And leaders came and, came and went, and then eventually, a leader came to rule Persia, and he was able to say, okay, you know what? we can go ahead and start sending some people back. So if anyone wants to go, you can, you can go back into Jerusalem. So, of course, people are excited. They, they, they load up. They take that three-month journey back from where they had been to back into Jerusalem, and they begin to assess the situation. They begin to rebuild uh, the temple and rebuild and, you know, the city structures. But then word comes back that, but hey, Jerusalem is still without walls. The walls were destroyed. You know, we've built some little places in there, but um, there's no walls. And then we're introduced to a man named Nehemiah, and he was a cupbearer. And when he heard what was, what was going on in Jerusalem, and when he had heard that Jerusalem just still was without walls, it just grieved his spirit. It just grieved his heart. Because he's like, wait a minute. Jerusalem is Zion. Jerusalem is that city on a hill. Jerusalem is the, that chosen place for, where God chose for his temple to be so he can meet with us. And, it had, and the walls. And he had this strong desire to go back and to see that the, these walls become were, were finished, that they were that the construction would begin and, and they would be rebuilt and restored. Even to the point that that the king was like, hey, why are you sad? You're not supposed to be sad. You know, and, and he was able to talk there with the Persian king and was like, and tell him what was grieving his heart. And he's like, okay, listen, I'm gonna load you up with some stuff. I'm gonna send you out with a few supplies. Go ahead, take a group and go back. This is obviously something that you just want to do. But the fact that these entire groups of people was able to go back into Jerusalem, we're seeing God once again giving them another chance. Okay, there was sin before. I had to bring you out. Here's your next chance. Now we're going to start going back in. There's still work to do. You're still my people. And Nehemiah was just excited to see that he could be part of this. So he went back. Now what was there when he returned was it, it kind of become a, a land, you know, without necessarily the nation there anymore. Kind of some, you know, some different uh, neighboring tribes, you know, it kind of come in that weren't necessarily there before. We kind of see some groups of folks that were were there and and they, they kind of, if we want to think of them, we can kind of say they were the, the bullies on the playground right now, you know, in, in, in the neighborhood. And they thought they were running the place. And when they, and they didn't like at all what they were seeing when these walls started going back up. Because in their mind, the restoration of the walls was the restoration of the power, the protection. Wait a minute. 
they're restoring their power center. We need to do something. So let's look in Nehemiah chapter 4. And let's look at some of these bullies that, that they deal with. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. Now, Samuel was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends in the Samaritan army, officers, what is this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make anything of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? See, I told you he's a bully. He's, he's causing, you know, this, 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 this negative word going out. Ah, they're feeble. We're, we're, the, we're the strong ones right now. And of course, he has a crony in his pants. He's got Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. You ever notice how bullies always have someone there that's always there to encourage him, the bully and, and what he's saying and doing? That's why I see Tobiah, kind of that little yapping dog beside the bulldog that just wants to say stuff. Then I prayed, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoff and fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last, the wall was completed to have its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sambalad and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem to throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our guard and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who never, who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah, who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load 
and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it's sounding, then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I also told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way, they and their servants could help with guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with us, with me, ever took off our clothes. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. So just a, a few points that we're making here. Because I want us to look today at how we protect our second chance. Now, these pe the people were back and they were beginning to rebuild the walls, but as we've already said, there were bullies on the playground. We have these guys over here that did not want to see Jerusalem restored. They wanted just to keep it the way it was. They were the new, the new power, if, if we will, you know, kind of showed up on the scene and they wanted to maintain what they had become accustomed to over these past few years. And now the returning of the Jews back into the city, the temple coming back up, the places within the city coming back, but especially when the walls were coming back, because now we're seeing a return of power. We were seeing a return of defenses. Where we're seeing a restoration uh, of, of Jerusalem really now with these walls. And we're not talking about walls like these. We're talking about thick city walls that were going up. And so they, they tried first to, to do verbal threats. They wanted to go out and say, hey, you know, first of all, what you're doing is not going to matter. I mean, as, as my, my friend over here said, if a fox hopped up there right now, the wall would crumble. I mean, what do you think you're doing? So they tried to cause them to be dissuaded by their words. But then as they, they kind of sat back and were watching, Nehemiah was still, hey, we're going to keep on. Let's work with enthusiasm. Let's just keep going here. And then they start seeing the wall continuing to be fixed. And now the bullies on the playground were like, all right, now, now I think we're, it's getting serious. So if, listen, we're going to come around and we're going to do some ambush sneak attacks, okay? We're going to, we're going to just show up and then we'll, we'll just start killing off the workers. No workers, no wall. Made sense to them. Nehemiah found out about it. He prayed to God. The people will receive strength and encouragement from God to be able just to devise a plan that, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to just divide the work up a little bit. We're going to start stationing guards. We're, while others are working here on the wall, building, we're going to have guards there. The workers themselves are going to have a tool in one hand, a weapon in the other, and they're going to have swords at them, their side. So listen, if they see an attack coming, all they got to do is drop their tool, pick up their weapon, and they're ready to fight. They can go immediately from building to defending pretty quick. That was the strategy. 
And not only that, but we're also going to put up blasters who are announcers that can blast out the signal when we see it coming, so we're ready. This was the plan. Because this, they, the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were given the second chance. And they were defending this chance that they had been given to restore Jerusalem. Even though they were hearing the cries of the bullies, even though they were probably hearing, you know, the, the, the horses running around, threatening their lives. Now, one of the verses that I want to look at today is verse 13. There in another version, I love the word that's used in another version. And let me read that to you. Nehemiah 4.13 Nehemiah says, So I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall and assigned people by families with their swords, lances, and bows. So I stationed armed guards at the most vulnerable places of the wall. That really stood out to me when I read that. That word, vulnerable places. I thought, wow. As a follower of Christ, what are my vulnerable places? What are the places that I have in my life that, that are vulnerable to attack? Because the New Testament makes it very clear that we are in a spiritual battle, right? We are always fighting against prince and powers of darkness. And when we are, when we are saved and we become new in Christ, we, are, we, are, we, we become a new creation. The inner man becomes alive, but we're still living in this old fleshy body. And this old fleshy body has a lot of vulnerable places. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves that we will, we will really take a look and think, you know, there are some places that, I, that really are vulnerable for me. You know, in uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 and, and verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially, now listen to this, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. As a, as a follower of Christ, I know that I have been, been redeemed by the Lamb. That the... Uh, you know, in that moment so many years ago when I put my faith and trust in Christ Jesus and repented of my sins and, and the Holy Spirit came within me and I became alive, renewed. I had, I had a, new, a, a new mindset where I was wanting to just know more and grow and learn. But there were still bullies on the playground trying to hit the, my vulnerable places. I think if we're honest, we will, we will can maybe can admit that we have vulnerabilities that we need to put extra guards against, extra protection against. 
As Hebrews says, that sin that can sometimes so easily trip us up. Maybe we have areas in our lives where we're like, you know, it's just, it, that, that's just always there. And it, it's just this vulnerability. And we've all been given a second chance and we've all been given the opportunity for that second chance if you're here today and you have not come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. He wants to know you. But are we guarding those places in our lives that are vulnerable? Those low places in the wall because we, we, we want to do, we want to build, we want to become that mature Christian. We want, we want to continue in our growth in Christ. But do we have places maybe sometimes in our lives that, are, that easily trip us up? Do we have places that sometimes that we can just say, you know, that, that's a vulnerable place for me? Nehemiah here, and what we want to share from this example is that's the places that we need to make sure that we guard the most. If we recognize that we have a vulnerability in, in our lives, in our heart, in our mind, then that's the place that we need to guard the most. That's the place where we need to say, hey, you know, we... We need, we need to be working on this. Didn't he, when Nehemiah was working on the wall, he didn't say, okay, that's a vulnerable place. We're just always going to guard it for all the years that we're going to be here. No. He says, let's start filling in this vulnerable place. Let's start putting these bricks, brick on brick. These stones on stones. Let's make it less vulnerable until it is once it is strong. So what are, what's our vulnerable places? And are we just leaving our vulnerable places there exposed? Or are we trying and striving to plug those holes that we may have? Christ within us by His Holy Spirit, giving us the comfort and the strength and the power. And, and through God's guiding Word, teaching us how to Pick up our cross daily and follow Him. We've been all given this beautiful second chance. But let's also think about the places that's within our flesh, within ourselves, that may still be vulnerable. How often is it when a, a, a person becomes is saved and, and they go back and, and they're just so excited and on fire and and and, and they get they get back around people who they used to know when they try so hard but but sometimes they get ridiculed oh you don't want to do that anymore oh that's right you're a church guy now you know and, and it's kind of a ridicule and and then and then they find themselves you know it's like sometimes they they, they falter with it But the great news is that when we identify these vulnerabilities, we're, we're not fighting them alone. We're not building against them alone. Look at what Hebrews in uh, 10 and 24 through 25 says. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. 
And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawn near. Let us think of ways to motivate each other. The church is a community. It's not these walls. It's not this, not this roof and ceiling or this stage. This is the church. The church is a community, a fellowship of believers. Nehemiah said, these are vulnerable places. But listen, I'm going to offer you builders encouragement. We're going to protect you. We've got, we've got a lot of guards here in this area. Don't worry. We, we know you're working in the vulnerable place. We're going to help protect you while you work. And we're going to give you some tools that you will need to help protect yourselves while you work. How many times have we been dealing with something in our lives that just we think, I don't know why I keep falling back into this hole every time. And then we, 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 we talk to someone, you know, a fellow fellow brother or sister in Christ, and we're like, you know what? I hate to admit it, but I, this, it's always tripping me up. Then what happens then? Also, we are just surrounded by this, these, these groups of one, two, three, four, maybe a group of people saying, hey, listen, we're going, to hold, we're going to hold hands with you. We're going to walk around you. We're going to help you in this. You don't have to do this by yourselves. We are your fellowship of community believers. We're in this with you. Don't worry. You, we're here to help. We need each other. You know, sometimes we can think, well, I'm just embarrassed to admit it. You know, I, I, I don't want to admit that there's, I have a weakness. You know, I, I'm around people and they all seem so strong and brave. And let me tell you right now, a lot of it's just people just, just going through the motions. If you're here today and you say that you have absolutely no weaknesses or vulnerabilities about you, then I'm proud for you. I'm not one of those people. I have my weaknesses. I have my vulnerable places. I have places that, that used to be vulnerable in my life, but by the power and grace of God, walls were able to be built there and strengthen them. But when we, when we have victories in those vulnerable places, let's not just keep it to ourselves because guess what? I guarantee you there's someone else that is facing the same thing and they only have the first row of bricks down. They have a lot of work to do. And we can be an encouragement back to them. We can help protect them and say, you know what, I remember when I was in that place. And this, this is what, what I did. And then we see now we have one became two. So let's never be afraid to admit when we've had some bad spots. When we, when we face some vulnerable, vulnerable places and we come out of it and by the grace of God, you know, I, got to, I was renewed, I was re-strengthened, I was able just to keep working on those vulnerable places by the grace of God and... and strengthening it up where now it no longer easily trips me up that sin it wouldn't have made any sense for the for the holes in the wall to remain holes right they needed to be fixed they needed to be repaired our lives are the same way 
we become refreshed, renewed, a new life. But there can be places in our lives that still just need to be fixed and repaired. Each day, taking one day at a time, following God's Word, and taking up our cross each day. And just looking to Him, the author and finisher of our faith, the perfecter. Let us not be afraid to face the vulnerabilities. Let us not be afraid to help those that we see are struggling in the same ways. Church is a community. Church is a fellowship. Church is a place where we can just take, should be able just to take off all the, the any anything that's going on in the world and just come in and just be real. You know, I grew up in a, <clears throat> my wife and I, we both come from a church when we lived in Tennessee. Uh, you know, our churches were very traditional, very um, old-fashioned, traditional. Those are my words describing it. But I remember looking around and just sometimes I would think, wow, you know, here I am, just little old me. Well, maybe not so little, but me and young me and thinking, wow, they all just seem like they got it all figured out. I mean, they just, how do they do it? I don't get it. You know, even their prayers sound perfect. I mean, I can't, you know, it's just being young and impressionable. And, and But then you realize, no, they, this whole time they've had vulnerabilities. Maybe they missed the opportunity to allow others to help them. But listen, we're all, we're all trying and striving for, the, for just getting closer to Jesus. So that when we get to the end, we can say, you know what? Be like Paul. I've, I've, I fought the good fight. I've walked the walk. I've kept the faith. I, I, I try to work on building, allowing you to build me into, into the person that I, you wanted me to be. We're all in, in part of a second chance, maybe a third chance, maybe a fourth chance. Wherever you find yourselves today, maybe you've been distracted, maybe you find yourself, you know, I just, it's true, I've, I've got a lot of things that trip me up and I, I get off track and it seems like it's so easy for me to do that. It's a vulnerability. Well, that's the, that's the place where you need to be put in extra guards. That's the place where never be ashamed to reach out and say, hey, I need help with this. I know God's in me and I love him, but, but you know, I'm just struggling with this right now. I need, I need some support. I need some help. I guarantee you, God has someone in mind that can go back and say, I'm here to help. I know what you're going through. I know what that felt like. I remember it. Let me help you build and strengthen this wall. 
that your faith that you're trying to feel right now. Let's all stand. With eyes closed and heads bowed, let's pray. Father, we love you so much. We're so thankful for being a God that is not willing that any should perish but all come to repentance. For being a God of second chances, a God of forgiveness through your Son, Jesus. Lord, we, we, we acknowledge today that we need you. Our own strength isn't sufficient. We need your strength. We need the strength of your, uh, of, uh, of your church. Right now, Lord, we may be facing uh, just something in our lives that just keeps tripping us up, and quite honestly, we're frustrated with it. Feels like we've been fighting this same fight for a long time and we just aren't getting anywhere. We think we are, but then we get right back at it. Lord, help us guard that place. Help us to have the courage to reach out and ask for help. Lord, we know you're always there, ready and willing to give us guidance and help. But Lord, sometimes we just need to be able to reach out to a brother or sister in Christ and just, just say, hey, I need help. I've been trying to do it by myself and I can't. I keep getting attacked. Lord, you know all about that. Help us to be an encouragement to each other. Not just to say the right thing at, the, at some opportune time, but really be engaged with that person. Be committed to partnering with them. To say, hey, you know what? I'm going to stand right here with you. I'm going to help, I'm going to help pull this rope with you. I'm going to help build this wall with you. And, and we're, going to, we're going to help guard together. Lord, we confess that we're weak. We confess that we face a lot of things in this world that just tries to poke at all those vulnerable places that we may have. Trying to hinder our growth in you. This beautiful second chance that you've given us through your son, Jesus. And Lord, if there's anyone here today that, that doesn't know your son, has never put their faith and trust in Jesus doesn't, maybe this is the first time they've ever even heard first time they've ever said it in a church Lord I pray for them this morning Lord that you would just draw them that they can come and learn more about you that they can embrace this beautiful second chance that you've given us all through your work through the, the work of Christ on the cross. Rising again. Giving us victory. Because we know we're in Christ Jesus. We are victorious. Give us the enthusiasm to do the work that we need. Help us to guide our way. Let us be an encouragement to others. And in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone says, Amen.